My name is Erin Kenny. I'm a registered dietitian, certified personal trainer, holistic cannabis practitioner with a master's degree in nutrition science. Welcome to my podcast, Nutrition Rewired, where I share cutting edge, practical advice to improve your health and debunk myths to help you rewire the way you think about nutrition and wellness. By listening to this podcast, you agree not to use this podcast as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others, including but not limited to patients that you are treating. Consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. Well, it's great to meet with you, Adrian. It's so lovely to see your face over screen virtually. Oh, I'm so excited to be here, Erin. We are going to have so much fun talking food and just all nerdy dietitian stuff. Yes, I love that. I love, I always love meeting with fellow dietitians because, you know, we've been through the same schooling process and, you know, we each now have kind of branched off into different, you know, niches and some of theirs crossover there. So it's just really cool to be in this space with you. So I appreciate you showing up and sharing your expertise. Right back at you. <laughs> yeah. So tell us a little bit about you. I think, you know, the power of story is really um, incredible. And, and I read a little bit on your website, but would love to just hear a little bit more about kind of how you got down this path. Yeah. Huh. Thank you. Um, so like you said, I'm a registered dietitian. I'm also a certified eating disorder dietitian and supervisor, um, which just means I love working with eating disorder patients. They are just makes my heart so happy, but we'll get into that later. Um, so started nutrition and just like most dietitians, I was like, I'm going to be a sports dietitian. Um, cause it's the cool, sexy thing. Yep. Yep. We're all like, Oh yeah, that's going to be so cool. And it's not as glamorous as it seems. Um, and started working in hospital and did all that started to slowly, uh, do some sports nutrition and didn't love it. Um, and when I was back in Texas, I went to school in Chicago and I came back to Texas. I love volunteering and getting active in our local dietetic community and just really supporting and getting to meet like-minded humans. Um, and somebody raised their hand and said, Oh, there's an eating disorder treatment center that's looking for a dietitian. Anybody interested? And I was like, Oh, sure. I know nothing about it. I'll raise my hand. And I fell in love. I was like, Oh, these are my people. I get it. I get what's going on. I can make a difference. And also, holy bananas, I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, <laughs> it was also like that realization. So hired a supervisor to like walk me through, make sure I was doing no harm and all of those great things. And in eating disorder treatment, after somebody goes through treatment, they need to see an outpatient dietitian along with their therapists and other medical providers. And there wasn't a lot of eating disorder dietitians in Austin, Texas at the time. And so I was like, well, I guess I'll start a private practice. I don't know. Um, and uh, slowly kind of snowballed. But when I was starting that private practice, something that was really important to me was I wanted to make sure it was affordable and accessible, which meant I wanted to take health insurance. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know how to do it, but I, it was something that was very, very important to me. And it took a lot of mistakes. It took a lot of phone calls, but it was something that I wanted to make sure that I laid the foundation. So that was 17 years ago. So over the course of 17 years, slowly grew into a group program, a group, uh, I had about 12 dietitians working for me. And about a year ago, um, a technology company approached me and say, Hey, we would love to partner with you and take this to a larger scale and create access to registered dietitians and affordable care on a national level. Are you game? And I was like, 
looking at myself and like, is this real life? Are you serious? Um, heck yeah, sign me up. So that was a year ago. And so today when we're recording uh, Nourish, uh, we've got 65 dietitians. We're in 35 different states. Hopefully we'll be in all 50 soon. Um, but yeah, so we're really trying to create affordable care to dietitians. That's incredible. That's awesome. <laughs> so that's a huge, you know, barrier to people receiving the care that they need. And I love that you're doing it. I give you so much credit because I did go through that process when I first started my practice of like credentialing with insurance companies. And it was a lot of work and it ended up being a route that I did not decide to take. But I am so grateful to have people like you in my space and referral network that I can say, here are some, you know, great people that that you can go through insurance. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that's awesome. So I know, um, you know, in your or in your bio, you kind of talked about like anti-diet dietitian. I've heard this term thrown around a lot. I even use it myself. I would consider myself an anti-diet dietitian. But I'd love to hear from you as a eating disorder specialist, what does it mean to be an anti-diet dietitian? And maybe like, what are some of the misconceptions that people might have about what that phrase means? Yeah, I, and I think it's, uh, there's no set like, this is what it means. I think it's a very personal idea of like, this is what it means to me in the way I'm practicing. Um, and so kind of what that looks like is, we don't really put anybody, we don't ever put anybody on like a restrictive plan. We want to lead with food. And so to us, what it means to be an anti-diet dietitian is that we're not going to restrict calories. We're not going to restrict food unless it, we need to pull something out for a GI issue. And that's your expertise. Um, but we really want to make sure that we are trying to lead with food and not trying to demonize food of good, bad, right, wrong how can all foods fit that is an appropriate for somebody? So if somebody has an allergy to peanuts, of course, we are not going to say eat peanuts. Um, if somebody is um, has a reaction to, um, I have no idea, um, some other type of food, we're not going to say, <laughs> yeah, dairy. Oh gosh. Yeah. Dairy. Bless its heart. Dairy. Um, <laughs> the people have issues with dairy. So we would never say like eat dairy. So to us, it just really means not following a restrictive pattern. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think I can speak in my own practice. Like it's just, it's what is your mentality going in treating a client, right? And I think that when you go in with kind of a bias or maybe the way that your education, you know, has kind of supported your way of thinking, uh, which was not mine and probably not yours either, but restriction is not the first place we go because even just thinking of human physiology, the goal of having a healthy microbiome and having the most health and wellness when it comes to nutrient efficiency is diversity, right? So when we, when we go into a treatment plan with a patient and, and think first of, ooh, what can we pull out, then we're only limiting the diet versus the mindset of what's missing here. And I'm sure your approach is very similar. When you meet with a patient, you might be actually diving in with like, well, you're not getting enough protein or you're not getting omega-3 fats or you're not eating enough fiber. And then once we establish that framework of what's missing, then we can consider, okay, you're still having these reactions, dairy's still an issue, whatever. Okay, let's try maybe some elimination style type there. So I think 
I love how you said like it, it's different for everybody, right? We, we all have different ways of approaching it, but it's the mindset going into it that I think is something that you should always ask a practitioner when deciding if they're a good fit for you. And, and I do have a lot of people that ask me, well, what's your approach? Do you like go into a restrictive diet? My answer is always no. <laughs> so true. So true. And it's interesting while you're saying that. It's so interesting. So many of our patients say that you're telling me to eat more food. Like I I was coming to a dietitian thinking I was going to have to like say goodbye to my favorite cookies or something or say goodbye to ever eating chocolate again. And it's just such a funny thing that um, what society's view of dietitians are is like, oh, we're going to take away all these things. And in reality, a lot of times they're like, oh, my goodness, you are not eating enough. Mm. Yep. And with digestive issues, I will say this is one that I see all the time under fueling. Um, maybe you could speak a little bit to that. I mean, because your expertise is, is eating disorders. I do see a lot of clients that have eating disorders, but it's not kind of a right from outpatient type of setting. It's more like maybe they've worked on their relationship for a few years. They're still struggling, but they're in you know weight stable type of place. What is your experience working with patients who have an eating disorder and GI symptoms? And maybe you can share like some general success um, pathways that you've seen of reintroduction or increase in, in diversity. Yeah, it's a challenge. And I think when we think of the word eating disorders, everybody has this picture of somebody that looks very, very malnourished in their head. And I want us to wash that picture out of our brain because eating disorders comes in all shapes and sizes, genders, identity, everything. And so it's when somebody is just having a upside down backwards relationship with food in their body. And so it might be over fueling, under fueling, um, getting rid of food via vomiting or laxatives or over exercising. So it can present in every single possible way. And so what we've seen a lot is the GI will present in lots of different ways. So there might be constipation and diarrhea and uh, a mix of all of it. And so it's really getting to a place of, okay, what is this person really needing? Are they needing to refuel. And a lot of other times it is. And so, okay, we got to get some nutrition in and we might just try to manage some of the symptoms of the GI issues. So if we're having some constipation, is there things that we could add in that would help the constipation with like magnesium and um, really uh, helping that that microbiome to like grow back? Um, Is it motility? Um, So we, so we try to address gently because we're slowly trying to add in fuel and also kind of having that reality of like, this is hard. You feel like crap. You're really struggling with your relationship with food. You're uncomfortable. Yeah. It doesn't feel good to eat. And I get that. And so what can we do to uh, be okay with it, take it slow, and also build that relationship with trusting our body and food. It's hard. Mm-hmm. It's very hard. Yeah. I mean, I, I've worked with patients in their 80s and they're still struggling with, you know, is this okay to eat? Should I be eating that? There's this fear of of eating it because of many different reasons. Like you said, it's, it's very complex. It could be I mean, in my own, I can share my own personal story, but a lot of my fears of certain foods came from the way that they made me feel. And Mm -hmm. I was convinced that food was the only thing that was not making me feel well. And so it was a fear of 
is this going to cause bloating or constipation or diarrhea or, you know, pain, right? We, we mm-hmm. have those kind of visceral responses. So I think a, a lot of the um, holistic approach that we're talking about is, is that relationship with food inclusive? Because if we don't, right, then, mm-hmm. you know, you're just kind of going in there and, and not really treating the root cause. Oh, a hundred percent. And that's kind of what is really nice uh, that we, because we do get to take insurance, most of the times we have unlimited visits with patients. So we have this like amazing time with patients. So we get to see people more often and we get to have those deep conversations of like, is it a belief about the food? Is it a reaction with the food? And so we're really able to pull apart the fear, the belief and get to really understand it. And if it is that GI stuff, great. Our GI dietitians will really work on it with them um, and then slowly work on that relationship. But it's it takes time. Yes. It's like peeling back layers of the onion. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, on that topic of um, kind of the, the connection of having the fear of the food and then having a physical reaction, I'd love to kind of just dive into the food and mood connection and, and how the gut and the brain are connected and impact each other because I've said it a ton on different episodes, <laughs> but it doesn't hurt to hear it again because <laughs> I think everyone adds a different layer to it. And the more we understand it, it's also kind of empowering to know that, you know, there are tools that we can have that aren't just food related that impact our success. Oh, totally. It's it's so interesting. And I, I can't wait for like more research to keep coming out about uh, the brain and the gut connection. I, I feel like we're in like this beginning stages of research that's coming out that our gut's the second brain. And I, I just like, oh, come on, researcher, go faster, find more stuff. Like we we have these like anecdotal situations, but I, I know that it's just going to keep coming back more and more. Um, but my favorite kind of place to start of like how food and guts and our, our mood are all kind of kind of mushed together is our gut uh, makes 60% of our serotonin, which is uh, our neurochemical uh, molecule that makes happiness. And so if we are having issues with diarrhea, constipation, absorption, we're not able to make enough serotonin. So you are more likely to be depressed. Also 60 to almost 80% of your immune system comes from your gut. And so again, if you're struggling with some GI stuff, you're more at risk to have infections. And so to me, I'm just like, holy bananas, we got to fix that gut. We've got to really really pay attention because your happiness and your immune system come from your gut. And so I think just that alone is just mind blowing when it kind of comes to the power of your gut. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So what are some tips that you share with clients that help to support the uh, gut brain connection? Oh, well, (laughs) or just just brain health in general, you could just, you could keep it very broad. (laughs) Yeah, I think I think it's one of those um, with brain health. And I'm trying to think of like where to start. I'm like, oh, we got to talk about sleep, and we got to talk about hydration, and then da, 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 da. so I think that it can, because it's so connected. And I think that people want it to be simple, like oh, eat 
rutabagas and you will be happy and you will never have diarrhea again. And I wish it was that simple of just eating rutabagas again. It'd be awesome. But I think uh, why it's hard for me to come up with like one answer is because it is all connected and it doesn't have to be perfect. And I think that's the other piece is a lot of times when you are having GI issues or struggling with your relationship with food, we want it to be better yesterday. And so we're wanting like a magic pill and it takes some time to heal that gut, to heal that relationship with food. And so starting really slow. Um, and so that's where I kind of like what you said earlier is we got to make sure we're getting enough fuel. And that's usually where we like to start is are we getting enough fuel? And also are we getting it uh, appropriate times throughout the day? So for mental health, we want to have maintained blood sugar because um, whenever we have a steady blood sugar or able to really have uh, no ups and downs in our mood are like really easy. And I know from uh, gut health, we want to have spacing so that the little cleanup crew can go in and clean up the gut and give it some time to rest and before we fuel it again. And so it really helps those two puzzle pieces of mental health with blood sugar and that GI piece. And so that's kind of where we like to start is, are we supporting that blood sugar for mental health? Mm -hmm. I love that. I think the blood sugar topic is very underrated. I mean, I'm even going to go in and further talk about that in terms of cardiovascular health and lipid health um, down the road, but blood sugar is really important. And when we, we think about blood sugar, I think a lot of people don't really understand what that means. You know, they'll say, oh, it my blood sugar went up and, and it's like, well, yeah, your blood sugar should go up after a meal, but it's how high the spike is and then how low the trough is after what happens. And that will be the, the main determinant of how your mood is influenced. I also love that you brought up the spacing between the meals because I think it can get start to get really confusing and we can kind of bring in diet culture to this conversation. But when people are looking at content for gut health, and I'm specifically talking about social media, because I think that's really where most of the diet culture messaging and, and, and harmful messaging comes from for most people. And so that's why, you know, individualizing the approach is always very, very important, you know, so I've had clients who have come to me who have been afraid to eat snacks, because they're like, well, I, I need to wait four hours until my next meal. And it's like, well, yes, there's this migrating motor complex that comes in like the Zamboni that is kind of like clearing things out in your digestive tract. However, if your blood sugar is not balanced and it's impacting your hormones and you're not getting enough calories and you're, you can't focus at work because you're not having a snack, then really where are the benefits outweighing the science that we know that there's a migrating motor complex and it helps you yeah. clear out if you give your time break. So I only say that because I don't want people to get too wrapped mm -hmm. up in some of those little details, but um, it's it's so helpful to to know all these things and then have your dietitian be the one to say, okay, but what makes the most sense for you? Oh, amen, sister friend. Yes, because like when somebody like it's so individualized because holy bananas, they just might need to be eating fuel and. I don't care about their uh, little Zamboni. <laughs> I love that you use the word Zamboni. Uh, come in and clean up because it's like, that's not the top priority. So yeah, I think it's so individualized. And, and I love that 
the more somebody can really work with a dietitian to on what they're needing help with to get that individual care. Oh my gosh. It's just amazing when you can really put those puzzled pieces together in the right order, because if you're not doing the things in the right order that uh, the dietitian is laying out, it might not work as well. And it might take longer. Sure. Yeah. And that's, that's a really important part of talking about foundational stuff. I mean, there are literally cases where people just need to increase their total caloric intake and they feel maybe 80 to 90% better. So that that's a real thing, I will say, because I've been doing this for many years and I'm sure you have as well. And so I don't mean to oversimplify it because there are truly people that have parasites or like autoimmune issues that that we really need to go back and figure out how we we kind of start. But there are certain people who are actually just not eating enough calories. And I always remind people that your gut is a muscle. And what happens if you start to lose weight, what, what do you lose? You lose muscle mass. Mm -hmm. And so there are cases where you can actually become malnourished to the point where your, your muscles of your pelvic floor surrounding your digestive tract can atrophy. And that can lead to, you know, slow motility, constipation, more bloating, because things are not moving in the way that a healthy muscle should be moving them. So just understanding for people, the importance of, of nourishment, just, just enough calories. Yeah. It sounds so when you and I are talking, it feels so easy, but I know like people wrapping their brains around, Oh, it's just more calories. That can be so scary. Mm -hmm. And it's can also, like you said, it can be really painful because we've uh, lost some of that muscle. And so putting more calories onto a muscle that doesn't want to work. Oh, that sounds like constipation. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. So what are some tips that you give your clients from a mindset perspective when they're working on healing their relationship with food, healing their body in, in a nourishment perspective from food? Like what are some things that you found to be really helpful with your practice? Oh, it is that we do a lot of mindfulness. And so um, before we work with, when we're working with patients, we'll do a lot of like checking in with our hunger fullness, maybe, um, a mealtime meditation, really trying to get that vagal nerve, which is my favorite nerve in the whole entire body, uh, to really relax so that we can start to help that GI system. Um, and a lot of times we see patients that are coming out of treatment centers that had to be refed, have a lot of this slow motility because they have lost that muscle mass. And so we're going to not give a ton of hard things to digest. We might add in um, appropriate supplements um, just so that we are getting the fuel in and being gentle on that GI system as we're building up muscles. Um, and I love the idea of like talking about, you know, it takes, we got to exercise that muscle, just like how we have to like lift weights to exercise our muscle, uh, like our biceps or something. We got to really teach that GI system to do its fun little peristalsis motions. And it's just going to take some time. And so giving them some fiber every so often to really help get those churning, giving some good prebiotics and probiotics to really help get, build up that gut microbiome so that it is able to really proliferate and get back to where it needs to be. So again, it just comes back to time. It's, it's hard. Yeah. Yeah, it, it really is. And especially when you're consuming social media, I would oh, say gosh. one of, I've had discovery calls where some people just come on and they just say, listen, I, 
don't necessarily want to hire somebody right now, but like, what would your, what would your advice be to me? And I'm like, honestly, you really want me to know what my advice is? I would delete Instagram for at least six months because it sounds like it's just confusing Mm -hmm. you more. It can actually be very harmful for you to be implementing some of the things that you've just spoken to me about on the phone that you were considering. So I would say stepping away from, from diet culture in general, um, and really consuming more positive health promoting, um, content, which Mm -hmm. can be hard to navigate. Oh, so true. We actually do that with our, uh, some of our patients as we actually do a social media clean out. Um, and so we're able to like, okay, let's, Let's pull up uh, whatever social media content that you love, if it's Instagram, TikTok, whatever, and go through and just start deleting things, uh, link accounts. And we actually have a, a list of accounts that are like body positive um, and very like mindful um, or like if you love dogs, let's get a whole bunch of dogs on your social media. Like what is the point of social media for you? And is it actually fueling your eating disorder or negative body image? So we really want to support that. Um, And we also do a lot of talk uh, with our patients about comparison. So that uh, negative voice in our brain when we're on Instagram or TikTok, it just compares everything to us and it has that negative voice back and forth, back and forth. And so we really work with patients on how to talk back to that negative voice and things that are fueling it, social media, we don't need it. Yeah, I love that. That's fantastic. It's it's a an inner voice that is almost automatic, right? It's not necessarily something that I feel like you can even control that initial mm-hmm. thought. Like that initial thought is almost instant, no matter who you are of like, you see something and and maybe it's something even for me, like in business or doesn't necessarily have to be body or food related. It could be like, Oh, like, you know, look how successful they are or look at their happy family or whatever it may, may be. It's just that automatic thought of, well, okay, you look at theirs and then you think about yours and hundred percent. Yeah. So it's that second thought. It sounds like that is, is really going to be the the focus of how to kind of have that inner dialogue to, to set yourself up for success. Yeah. Oh, it's so true. We think of it always as like that social media comparison and it is just, it's life comparison. And we all know everybody puts the easy, pretty stuff on social media. Nobody puts like the picture of like the craptastic day they just had. And some people do, and that's wonderful, but I think it's, it's not as pretty to look at. Let's mm-hmm. be real. Um, and so uh, I think that's just the hardest thing. And um, I forget who said this. And maybe it was a book I read, but it was one of the things of stop comparing your beginning to somebody's middle. Mm. And I thought that that was such a good saying to really remind yourself of like, oh, I am looking at somebody's middle of their story, middle of their business success, middle of their recovery journey. And I'm comparing it to where I am today. No wonder I feel like crap. Um, And so I think that was just such a great saying. That's great. I will keep that in my, (laughs) my back pocket as well. (laughs) Um, So I know this is a question that I hadn't initially mentioned when we quickly hopped on here, but wondering if there are any specific labs that are nutrition related that you look for um, in patients, maybe some that you see to be out of range consistently. Cause I think 
I've definitely dialed in, you know, chronic laxative abuse. I've seen this and there's a lot of labs like liver enzymes and things that we're looking at, but I'd love to hear from you if maybe there's anything that has been consistent or that you can share just based on research that it's helpful to know what are some signs that you're under fueling or that something's going on related to an eating disorder. Mm, I think with the underfueling, it's we're looking at all the signs of malnutrition. And so looking, I really like to look at uh, CRP, the C-reactive protein. So seeing if there's any general inflammation um, and kind of going like, is there something really going on? And then digging a little bit deeper. Um, I like to look at blood sugar because um, when we get to a really place of malnourished, underfed, um, blood sugar reactions will actually go haywire. <laughs> um, and so I like to look at that. Um, you're yeah, exactly with the liver enzymes with laxative abuse or chronic purging. We'll see some elevated liver enzymes. Um, AST, uh, is it? Yeah. Uh, AST and ALT. And then also, um, phosphorus and magnesium, looking at those for refeeding and being mindful. So when somebody is uh, severely underweight and they do need to weight restore, looking at that for refeeding, looking at electrolytes, uh, dehydration is a real thing. Um, so I would say all of them. Um, <laughs> I would, I'm trying to think, is there one not? Uh, we tend to just do a regular um, like blood panel, um, metabolic panel, and uh, CDC, so complete blood count. We don't do any stool testing. Uh, I saw that you guys do ma uh, GI mapping. I'm like, oh, we're not there yet. Um, and I just am so blown away by that. And it's one of those, like, uh, I hope that more and more people get to learn that and get to understand that because it's uh, so fascinating. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love using stool testing. It's been, it's been incredible. And you know what, I will say too, like when I come, when I have patients coming on a very restrictive diet, you will see the entire commensal, which is like your healthy, beneficial bacteria, you'll see them totally plummet. And you might even see their secretory IgA, which is their primary immune function in their gut. You also may see that plummet because you have low beneficial bacteria because you're not eating diversity or enough calories. So that is, I, I love using stool testing in the sense of underfueling just to see, you know, you're literally starving the healthy bacteria that control your immune system, your inflammation, your serotonin, your dopamine. Those are all really um, helpful measures to motivate people mm -hmm. to say, okay, this is like, you know, this is really impacting your digestion in more ways than you even know. Yeah. Uh Oh, someday I wish it would all be covered by insurance. I know. We're going to work on it. Yeah. Cause yes. holy bananas. If you need yeah, any that's support the, that's there. That's the hard part about all those things. Yeah. <laughs> I will sign any petition you need. I will. Yeah. Present case studies, uh, any of that would happy, be happy to help. But yeah, I love using stool testing, um, can be really helpful to look at Dutch testing as well. We use mm -hmm. that for hormone balance and, you know, when patients are under fueling or, you know, not, you know, fueling properly consistently, we do see changes in hormones over the course of the menstrual cycle, which, you know, a lot of the time people might think, oh, I've got estrogen dominance. I'm, I've got weight in my middle and this and that. And it's like, actually your estrogen's normal, but it it's relative to progesterone. It's not mm -hmm. ideal. And so then you're having symptoms that may present as estrogen dominance. And then you're going and taking DIM and calcium D and then you're actually doing more harm for yourself because 
your progesterone was the issue, for example. So um, some of that, those functional lab tests has, have been really helpful, but it's similar to the foundational stuff that we talked about mm-hmm. in the beginning. I don't always just dive in there and, you know, it's really used as a tool for specific patients. And I just, I do it for myself every year just because it's cool to see um, <laughs> and gather some, some trending data for myself. Um, uh-huh. I, yeah. So in addition to that, I mean, thyroid is also another one um, that I always like to see vitamin D. If there's a lot of inflammation going on, a lot of people don't realize that's why their vitamin D levels mm-hmm. could be low, for example. So lab work can be really powerful. I think what's, what's great about it is that it can motivate mm-hmm. clients. And I always say, you know, you don't necessarily have to trust us. We are dietitians. We're experts. We were trained in medical nutrition therapy. However, you know, it, I understand that it's hard to, to mm-hmm. just believe a stranger that you've just met who's telling yeah. you this is the right thing to do, especially when there's fear and um, maybe some prior education on what they've heard but the lab values and the the data can show them, hey, mm-hmm. this is actually going on. And sometimes it can create that unfortunate reality that can motivate someone to change. So true. And it's interesting, a lot of times with eating disorders, somebody that's been in their eating disorder for a really long time, their lab work might look perfect. Like everything's magical. And they're like, well, I I, I don't need to listen to you. Da, 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 da. Like, look at my lab work. It actually is great. And the hard part is, yeah, your body found its new normal. And so as soon as we start to nourish the body again, things go haywire. And so that can be a really hard place to start when somebody is like, well, look, you said it was going to be bad and it's actually really just good. And like, I know that's okay. That's what we just had to get a baseline. Let's start to really start this process. And that's when you can see the disruption happen. Mm. I'm so glad you brought that aspect of it up because <laughs> it, it is so hard to talk about nutrition in general and, and all of this stuff because there are always different ways to view it and important, important, um, I guess, perspectives to bring in. So I'm, I'm really glad that you just mentioned that. Oh, good. Yeah. Um, I would love to talk a little bit more about orthorexia, um, just because I think it's a, um, diagnosis that's not really as well recognized. I think it's much more common. And I think social media is, is a big reason why it's becoming, uh, more prevalent. So if you could just explain what it is, um, and then, you know, we can kind of dive more into, you know, I, I can even share my own story with orthorexia because I, I did struggle with this for many years. Yeah. Um, so D- the DSM is kind of the uh, how people are diagnosed with uh, different uh, issues. And so there is no official diagnosis for orthorexia, same with like diabulimia. Uh, and so it's um, it's kind of more of like a catchphrase. And so orthorexia uh right now as an unofficial diagnosis, but it is uh, kind of used as a way to explain a certain population of patients. And so what it looks like is somebody that went into a way to really take care of themselves. Maybe it was, um, I was struggling with weight or something that was just really hard for them. And it started a as a positive thing or a way that they really wanted to make some changes and it went upside down and backwards and it became to a place that is based in fear of possible weight gain, based in uh, fear of food, fear of 
just anything. And so their nutrition got so limited that they're not able to eat out with people, not able to uh, really interact on a uh, intense level. Um, I can show this one patient example as well. Um, and I had this one patient who wanted to join a certain type of gym and was really excited. And they had like a 30 day challenge and they were just told everybody to do the whole 30. And, um, this one patient was in college and was like, okay, I'm going to do it. And just did some quick Googling and okay, there's no sugar, no processed food and all this. And, took it to the nth degree to the point where they were making their own ketchup. I was like, I don't know how to make ketchup. That blows my mind. Um, and to the point where couldn't really even eat with family or couldn't go anywhere. And if they missed a workout, it was the end, like end all be all of their day. They would skip uh, family functions. They would skip school and work to work out. Um, and sadly, this patient ended up with a really intense injury. And that's what prompted people to kind of dig a little bit deeper of a college kid that has a hip fracture. That's not normal. Um, and so that's when, oh, by the way, we have a very intense eating disorder. Let's work on it. Um, and so it's, I always kind of think of orthorexia as an idea of healthy and I'm using air quotes, healthy eating gone to the nth degree. Yeah. And I, like I said, I, I struggled with orthorexia for many years and, and that is something that I have a lot of sympathy for, for patients who go through that because it is, it's, it's, you know, just like any other eating disorder, it's a mental health issue. Mm-hmm. And so understanding that, and there's, you know, there's social media and it's like, there's this perfect feed of, look, if you drink green juice and do this and don't touch any processed foods and drink teas, like, a, you will look like this. B, this square of my life posted on my feed will look just like your life. And it's it's so hard to pull yourself out of that, unfortunately, false reality and say, mm-hmm. no, like that's that's not, you could do everything perfectly in air quotations and you probably still wouldn't look or be that same person. And so, um, obviously the intentions of everybody are different of why, you know, they kind of travel down that path. And like you mentioned, there could be trauma. It could be, uh, just first intention of wanting to be healthy. You know, those are some ways. And, you know, we are vulnerable humans that can easily be roped into things like those 30 day challenges or, you know, the, 30 day weight loss challenge at your work that they're putting on or trying to get your 10,000 steps. There are some people that respond really well to that. And they're able to go into that challenge and say, okay, let's be real. Like I'm not going to not eat my donuts. I'm going to enjoy this, but yeah, like I'll make some effort to, you know, eat more protein and more vegetables and things like that. And then they come out of that 30 days and they say, yeah, I should do that more often. I should eat more vegetables more often kind of thing versus, there are some people that are just the type that might fall into that place, or maybe they do have unresolved trauma that the second that they feel that control, they run with it. And like you said, mm-hmm. they take it too far. Yeah. So I think that's a really important part of the conversation because I think when we talk about anti-diet dietitian or we talk about weight, you know, body positivity, people see it as, oh, you, you just want people to be unhealthy, and it's like, no, it's, it's really hard because 
there's a, there's, there's a, a scenario where, like I said, that can be a really health promoting thing for somebody. And then there's another scenario where that can threaten someone's life and possibly kill them. And I say yeah. that because it, it is serious and people need to understand the seriousness of it because it's someone's life at risk. Yeah. yeah. I love what you said. It, it all is just so personal food, your relationship with food, your body is so personal and it's not like you said, a little Instagram box. There's so much more to it. It's your happiness, your um, fulfillment of life. And so I think that we forget those puzzle pieces when we're just so focused on an Instagram box. Um, and it's uh, how do we encompass all of that? And so uh, what we really like to help uh, patients understand is what your definition of healthy and for you is the most important thing, not social society's definition or anything. So I always ask people, how would you define health for yourself without weight um, or anything that's deemed in society? Like what is it to you that you want to achieve and feel? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's really interesting to see what people uh, come up with. And I'm like, great, that is our North store that we're going to keep checking in. Are we going towards that? And we're going to check in a couple of times because it might change and that's okay. Cause it's your body, your life, your story. Sure. Absolutely. I think that's a really great place to kind of start wrapping up because that message is just fantastic. Hmm, so Adrian, yeah. what would you say, what would you give for advice to someone listening who is, you know, obviously not having an active eating disorder maybe that, you know, maybe they are, but ideally someone who is looking for some tips that they can apply in a, you know, not an inpatient setting that can improve their relationship with food or, um, body image. Yeah. Um, since we've been dogging on social media, I'd say like, <laughs> let's take a social media break or better yet delete. Um, I think that would be a really great, uh, kind of place to start to see, is it fueling this negativity around food and body? And if that is awesome, maybe we'll have a better place to kind of start. So I'd say that would be the first and foremost is let's just get rid of all of that. I'd say also what is like, like just check yourself. What's your relationship with your scale? Are we always stepping on the scale? Is that kind of the determinant of a good day versus bad day and what you're going to eat? So is your uh, judgment of your body something that happens every single day? That's another like, huh, that's just where I like to tell patients like a little spidey sense of like, "Mm, it may be an issue, it might not, but um, it's just one of those to be mindful of. Um, And then the other is really checking in with uh, how you label food. Is this good? Is this bad? Is this right? Is it wrong? I'm um, like, oh, I, I can't eat donuts because they're so bad. I'm like, but I love donuts. Like, well, who said that they were bad? And like, are they bad always? So I think just just being mindful. Um, and those would be kind of just the first places I would say just start and just see what happens. And of course, always see a dietitian if you do have questions. <laughs> yeah. And we say that not because we're self-promoting, but because it can change your life and it can totally change your relationship with food and gut health and hormone balance. You know, food when used properly um, can be a incredibly powerful tool for, for any area of your life and and mental health is not separate from that. Mm -hmm. Yes. 
Yeah, I think every dietitian is just like, did you know how amazing food is? And it's so hard to like talk to people that aren't uh, like in love with food as much as dietitians. You're like, oh my gosh, did you know this? And we geek out on how cool food is all the time. Yeah. So I do, <laughs> I do grocery hauls on my Instagram every Sunday. Um, and I started doing it because it was kind of a cool way to show people like, here are some fun things that you can buy and, and I will make recipes. So people are always asking me for recipes and I like to share the why behind it. Mm. Um, and a lot of my, um, clients follow me on Instagram and they're like, Oh, I love how you talked about how beets are a good source of iron and that's good for anemia. Cause I'm postpartum and looking for, um, in, and I work with patients on, you know, adding more variety to their diet. And when it can be scary, I know that sometimes understanding like how cool food is and what it does for your body can be a motivation to add in more variety mm-hmm. and increase, you know, things like potatoes and know that like, no, potatoes aren't nutritionally void. They're incredibly rich in minerals and vitamin C and potassium, and they've got tons of benefits for gut health. So I do that every Sunday and it's so much fun. And I've started a new series where um, I've started posting just like different foods and what their benefits are so that people can start to think about like food and some of the awesome things that it can do, especially fruits and vegetables that have been demonized, which just blows my mind (laughs) because, you know, that that potatoes have been demonized, right? So I love potatoes. Bless their hearts. They're so good. Yeah. What did they do to deserve, I you know, know. The, the bad rep that they get? Oh, poor little potato. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, what is your favorite childhood memory with food? Oh my gosh. Um, so many. It's so funny. I have so many because uh, food was always like fun in my house. I don't know why. Very, very, very fortunate in that. Um, so I'll give you two because I can't pick. Um, I do not prefer cake. Um, and so it's just, I don't know, just don't like the taste of it. And so for my birthday, um, I always wanted ice cream cake, but ice cream cake still has cake in it. And I was like, this, this is not okay. So uh, my mom would get a carton of ice cream and dump it upside down and I uh, would make that my cake. And I loved it. It was always my favorite thing. Um, and then also on my birthday, even to this day, um, my mom makes homemade chicken fried steak um, and mashed potatoes from scratch every single time on my birthday. And it is the greatest thing in the whole entire world. I'm starving over here now. I was not <laughs> hungry before we started this, but now I'm like, oh, yeah, that all sounds really good. <laughs> Yeah. <sighs> That's awesome. Well, I love that. Thank you so much for sharing your memories yeah. with us and, and for coming on. And and I'd love to hear if there's, um, you know, a place where people can go to find you and your services. And if they're looking for a dietitian that's covered by insurance and struggling with their relationship with food, I would love to hear where they can find you. Oh, awesome. Well, thank you. Yeah. If you guys ever are interested in seeing one of our dietitians, if you just go over to usenourish.com um, and we actually have a place where you can uh, see if we, if your insurance is covered, if we're covered in your state. Um, and it's really simple. Uh, just click through a couple of pages and we'll, we'll actually match you up with a dietitian. So not all of our dietitians specialize in eating disorders, not all of them specialize in GI. So we want to make sure the issues that you're coming in with are actually uh, appropriate. 
Um, and then we actually have a little uh, gift for everybody. So if you go over to usenourish.com and uh, click on, let me make sure I got the URL right. Because uh, I don't want to tell you all your listeners the wrong ones. Um, do, 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 do. It is... Uh, if you go over to usenourish.com slash ditch the diet, uh, and it will give you a free download of how to ditch the diet. I love that. Thank you so much yeah. for that gift. That's awesome. Well, Adrian, it's been such a pleasure having you on today. I really enjoyed our conversation and thank you for what you're doing in the field of health and wellness. Oh, thank you. Right back at you. I think you guys are just amazing. You guys are leading the kind of charge on gut health. I'm like, oh, they're brilliant. <laughs> Thank you so much. We, we love what we do. And I, I can tell that you do as well. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. If you're interested in working one-on-one with one of our dietitians, you can go to nutritionrewired.com where you can also find functional lab testing that you can order and do at the comfort of your own home or just printing out a lab slip and going to a local Quest Labs. This has been a great addition to our practice. We've been doing it for several years and it really allows us to personalize the service that the clients get where they learn more about their hormones, their digestive health with stool testing, and their blood work to look at things like cardiovascular health, inflammation, and so much more. So thanks again for tuning in. And as always, don't forget to share the health.